Thank you for tuning into the Apostolic Pentecostal Church podcast. You are currently listening to one of our iGrow series lessons. If you're in the Bloomington, Illinois area and want to sit in person, feel free to join us Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. for Bible study and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for worship in the Word. Can't make it in person? No big deal. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram and search Apostolic Pentecostal Church. Either way, we'd love to fellowship and worship with you. We hope to see you. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> we often, um, when we're learning about the children of Israel and the escape from Egypt, we hear so, so much about Moses. And we read the Exodus story, and, and when we hear it taught, it's Moses, Moses, Moses. Moses was the one that had the burning bush experience in Genesis 3. Moses uh, was the one that was sent by God. Um, Moses was the, the one that received the Ten Commandments. Can you believe, how would you like to be the guy up on the mountain after a 40-day fast and you get this tablet? The Bible says that God hewed out the tablet and he wrote the Ten Commandments with his, with the, with his finger. And to be the guy that received that handoff, wouldn't it be just... And that was Moses, and, and Moses led the, the Israelites to the promised land. And then when you get over to the New Testament, there's a chapter that we call the chapter of faith. And guess who gets the, the big, you know, five or six verses about him over there? It's Moses. Well, Aaron, on the other hand, is, is glaringly kind of absent from the list in, in Hebrews chapter 11. Aaron is kind of relegated to a sidekick status. And... Um, he kind of slides into the background. I uh, wonder if that's fair. Uh, after all, Aaron accompanied Moses into Egypt, and he aided in Israel's liberation. Aaron um, co-leads the tribe through the desert and performs miracles and mighty feats of faith. Aaron is no sidekick. Tonight, we're going to look at some of what the Bible has to tell us about this man, Aaron. So to give you a brief outline of how tonight's lesson is going to flow, I'm kind of giving the introduction and the, uh, just a few facts about uh, Aaron. And then after that, Brother Jonathan is going to get up and he's going to go through a lot of uh, biblical facts about Aaron. And then he and I have identified four specific things uh, that we can learn from Aaron. Okay, so we're going to talk, he's going to give us facts about Aaron. And then we're going to do, he's going to do two, and I'm going to do, get up and do two, and, and then close it out in prayer of things that we learn from Aaron. So let's start. The meaning of Aaron's name. The male name Aaron is a Hebrew, it's of Hebrew origin, and the meaning is mountain of strength. Mountain of strength uh, is from the Hebrew word H-A-R-O-N. And it could even possibly be of Egyptian origin. Number two, Aaron's approximate date of birth was on a biblical timeline was approximately 1,574 years B.C., before Jesus, before Christ. Aaron's family, Aaron was the son of Jochebed, that was his mother, and his dad's name was Amram. How would you like to be named Amram? A-M-R-A-M, that was his dad. And they were of the tribe of Levi. He, had a, he was the older brother of Moses, and he was the younger uh, brother of Miriam. So he was the middle child. That might explain some things. He was married to Elisheba, Elisheba the daughter of Aminadav. 
Uh, and he had four sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. So four boys, which all became priests. Number four, John the Baptist was a descendant of Aaron. Luke 1, 5 says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So when we get to the forerunner of Christ, he's a descendant of Aaron. Aaron's first mention in Scripture, always good to look at the first mention, Exodus 4.14, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. So there is your first mention of Aaron in your Bible. <clears throat> and Aaron's name is mentioned 333 times in the Scriptures. 328 of them are in the Old Testament, five times in the New Testament. And now I'm going to turn it over to Brother Jonathan. This is his first agro experience. Thank you, thank you. So, what can we learn about Aaron in the Bible? Well, for one thing, we, know, we learn that the Lord spoke to Aaron first before he spoke to Moses at the burning bush. So, Exodus chapter 4 and verse 27 says, And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went, that's Aaron, and met Moses in the mount of God and kissed him. So, Mo you know, everybody thinks like, you know, the burning bush experience is the first time God spoke in over 400 years, but God really spoke to Aaron first, you know, in 400 years time to go to the mountain where Moses was at. So Aaron was not only the spokesman to Pharaoh, but he spoke to the elders of Israel instead of Moses. And he not only spoke, but he did the signs as well. So God told Moses to go before Pharaoh. Moses said, I can't do it. I got all these problems. I got all these issues. And he said, send someone else. So God kind of like sent Aaron, not necessarily in Moses' place, but in order to speak for Moses and do the signs for Moses. And the name Moses and Aaron are used together in the Old Testament 139 times. And Exodus chapter 4 and verse 30 says, And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses, and did the signs in the sight of the people. So he also did, you know, like the casting of the serpent for the people of Israel too, so that they would believe that God was getting ready to deliver them out of the Egyptians' hands. And Aaron was 83 years old when Moses and him visited Pharaoh. So they're really, you know, Aaron's 83 and Moses is 80 years old, so they're really old people for that time. So imagine being 80 years old and God telling you, hey, I want you to go start a church. I'm like, what? I'm, 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 on my, I'm in retirement. You know, like, you know, have you lost your mind? So Exodus chapter 7 and verse 7, and it says, And Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron fourscore and three years old when they spoke unto Pharaoh. So one of the positive points 
that we have from Aaron is when Aaron and her were supporting Moses' hands when they were when 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 Joshua was fighting against the Amalekites. Now, uh, Exodus chapter 17 and verse 8 says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Moses, Moses is saying to Aaron, you know, Joshua, you know, go out and fight. I'm going to stand on the mountain with the staff of God in my hand. And, you know, we're going to win, win the battle. So he's standing up there. And eventually, Moses' hands get, they, they start getting tired and they start getting weary because, you know, you, you're 80-something years old. You're holding your hands up. You know, eventually, you know, you're going to get tired and fall down. They're going to get fall down. So... Uh, so Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And verse 11, it says, Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. So when the hands are up, Israel is doing good. But when the hands are down, Amalek is, I mean, he's just whomping all over them. So... In verse 12, it says, But Moses' hands grew weary, so he took. So they took a stone, that's Aaron and Hur, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So what, so how Aaron and Hur fixed the problem for Moses, which is, pretty genius about the whole sitting down thing because if you think about it if you're holding somebody's hands up you know while they're standing up your hands are going to get tired too so if you have somebody sit down you you can at least like prop their hand up like this you know and you don't have to hold your hand up but you can still hold up somebody else's hands up so it's kind of ingenious how you know what they did with the stool and the sitting so what we learned from Aaron and her holding Moses' hands up, meet the need, is about meeting the needs in God's kingdom. We work in harmony with each other when we are fighting against the enemy. The fact that God allowed Aaron to assist Moses in speaking, leading, and even physically holding his hands in the air speaks volumes. In our battles, in our journeys, you know, we need each other. We can't, you know, we can't make it to heaven. We can't fight you know, Satan and the enemy on our own, but we have to have each other's helps and uh, being overcomers. We can agree, pray, and seek God for victory with each other, and deliverance and victory will come to us. In order for Joshua to win the battle against the Amalekites, Moses had to hold his hands up with the staff in his hands. The only difficulty that he had with holding his hands up is that he grew tired. And a lot of times... You know, when, when we're, you know, fighting, we get tired, too, and, and we, we struggle, you know. I'm sure the pastor struggles, and, and, you know, he gets tired, and that's why, you know, he has other people to assist him because we can't do it alone. We, we have to have help in, in our ministry and our walk with God. And also, one other thing is that time, time was needed for the battle to be won. And, you know, it, it, was, it didn't just happen like at the snap of the fingers. It took time for Joshua to overwhelm the enemy. And that's 
kind of like also how it is with you know us seeking victory and deliverance and being overcomers is that it's going to take time it's not going to happen you know sometimes it happens you know in an instant but sometimes you know we got to be there for each other for a little bit a little bit of time or a long time if needed and in acts chapter 1 it says that 120 followers of Christ prayed and the holy ghost fell and they were baptized and delivered from their bondage of sin. So I'm going to kind of bring out some New Testament references for um, supporting each other. So in verse 14 of Acts chapter 1, it says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in Acts chapter 3, it says, Peter and John prayed for a man that had been lame from birth, and God delivered him forth from that infirmity. So, you know, it was more than one person, you know, being there assisting each other. And in Acts chapter 12, it says, it talks about the saints praying and, Pe and Peter being supernaturally delivered from prison and his chains of bondage where the angel goes up, kicks him on the side and says, get up and, you know, get out of here. So, uh, you know, and, that, that's all, and that's all because the people were praying for Peter, you know, and to get him out. And then they didn't believe, so... Um, but I'm going to continue on. I can go into that. And then in Acts chapter 16, you know, it talks about Paul and Silas praying in prison, you know, and that they, they couldn't move. They couldn't, you know, wave their arms. or they, they were stuck in place. And the only thing that they could do was sing and praise God and, you know, offer up thanksgiving to God. And, you know, God shook the jailhouse and the jailer and, you know, a lot of people were saved in a church was started and people were converted and baptized because of two people uh, not, you know, complaining and supporting each other. And in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So, you know, like with the pastor and him, you know, preaching the word of God to us and, you know, the ministers, you know, we, we have to be there, you know, supporting them and helping them and giving them encouragement and any other needs that they have. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6, it says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So the one, you know, Galatians is commanding, you know, the learners, you know, to assist the teachers, you know, you know, encourage them, uh, you know, share, share with them because, you know, the people who are studying and teaching all the time, you know, you know, you get tired of it eventually. So, um, and then in First Thessalonians, it says, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. I think that's Thessalonians or Pretty sure that's Thessalonians, right? Yep, yeah. And then in verse 13 it says, And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. So when Moses went up for his first 40-day fast, when he got the tablets, he left Aaron and her in charge of the entire group. And he said unto the elders, Tarry here for us until we come again unto you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. If any man have any matters to do, let him come unto them. So Aaron and her, they are assisting Moses while he is going to the mountaintop. And here God com 
commands Moses to have Aaron, your brother, brought to you from among the Israelites, along with his sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar, so that they may serve me as priests. That's in Exodus 28, verse 1. From this point on, Aaron adopts a ministry that is uniquely his own. So he's, he's going towards, Aaron's starting to move in towards the priesthood, and Moses is going to the mountaintop to get the tablets from God. As Aaron is born of the tribe of Levi, this means he is the first Levitical priest on record. So Aaron is the first priest that we have for the Hebrews in our Bible. While Aaron and her were in charge down on the mountain, you know, assisting the people, God was instructing Moses on how to prepare Aaron to be the priest for the people. And then we started getting stipulations. Here we started getting stipulations for how Aaron is supposed to, you know, be over the priesthood and the clothing. And so Exodus chapter 28 and verse 2 and 3, it says, And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron, thy brother, for glory and for beauty. So the purpose is, you know, it's part of the work. There is part of their ministry, and it's for glory and for beauty. And they, and thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. So they're getting these garments, and it's for the purpose of ministry, so and holiness. And Exodus chapter 28, verse 29 and 30, it says, And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart. So this is where the breastplate and the Urim and the Thummim comes into place. And it's, you know, for when he goes into the holy place. Um, sounds more or less like the breastplate is, you know, the representation of the 12 tribes of Israel, you know, going into the Holy of Holies, you know, like you're, you're bringing the 12 tribes into there and making atonement for them. So Exodus chapter 29, verse 21, it says, And he said unto the elders, Tarry ye here for us until we come again unto you. And behold, wait, I already said that. Okay. Okay. Verse 44, it says, And I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. So, Aaron's leadership at this time is critical while the law is being given. So it's the ten, you know, the Ten Commandment tablets are being given to Moses while the people and Aaron are taking charge. But it's at this point when Moses is on the mountaintop receiving the tablets that Aaron's leadership fails miserably. And this part of scripture is where the infamous golden calf narrative comes into play. So I, I just talked about one of the positives of Aaron, you know, helping Moses and supporting him. Now I'm going to talk about one of the negative aspects of Aaron, and it comes down to the golden calf. So the big, probably the biggest negative thing about Aaron is the golden calf. So ultimately, the golden calf was a way to please the people of Israel. So the golden calf narrative allows us to to gain a glimpse into the character of Aaron overall, of who he was as a person, you know, just a basic, you know, a window. Um, we see who he is in his raw form. In Exodus chapter 32 and verse 2, we have the very first spoken words of Aaron recorded. Now, why, why do you think that 
the first spoken words of a character are important in the Bible. I mean, can anybody, does anybody want to take a guess or, or go ahead. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, that's pretty much right. So the first words of a character are important because in Hebrew narrative writing, the first words of a spoken character usually define the character and what type of character that person is. So also, spoken words of a character reveal what's going on inside of their heart. So after Moses goes to the mountain and gets the Ten Commandments and the stipulations for the people of Israel. Okay, so we think of like the Ten Commandments as like the tablets and everything else, but really it, it was just, you know, God gave the Ten Commandments first to Moses before the tablets. So before the stone, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and Moses, and God told Moses to go tell the people the Ten Commandments and what I have spoken to you. And then Moses had to go back up to the mountain for his 40 day and night fast and get the tablets. So Moses t tells the people, you know, don't make foreign gods, any graven image, don't take the name of the Lord God, you know, don't do all this stuff. Aaron and her, everybody hears all this. Everybody hears this. And uh, yeah, things go sour after that. He hasn't even gotten the tablets yet. So um, we see this in Exodus chapter 24 and verse 3. It says, Moses came and told the people, all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words of the Lord that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We're going to do it. No problems. We're going to do it. We are not going to take the name of the Lord God in vain. We're not going to create any idols. We're not going to commit adultery. We're not going to steal. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to serve the gods, other gods. And so what happens? Well, in chapter 32, verse 1, we get to, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, and this is with the tablets of stone, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. We don't know whether he's dead or whether he's alive, you know, whether, you know, yeah, he's run off and left us. So Aaron said to them, these are Aaron's first words. Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. And then in verse three, it says, so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are, the, the, this is the people saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this and what the people are saying, he built an altar. Oh, might as well build an altar. You know, if we're going to go all in, you know, let, let's go all in. So he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So, and basically the Lord, that's the name of God. So he's taking, you know, kind of like, I don't know whether he's placing God's name on the golden calf or whether, you, you know, but it, but it's like. Would that be like taking God's name in vain, technically calling, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't recommend doing that. 
So we have the first words of Aaron that deal with taking up an offering, and the purpose of the offering is to make an idol. So we have to ask ourselves this question. Are Aaron's first words a way of showing him as a person seeking monetary gain from his work? You know, he's helped, he's helped Moses a lot, you know, going to Egypt before Pharaoh, holding, you know, supporting Moses. But is there something inside of him where he's like, you know what, I need something for myself, you know? Um, and then Aaron's next words are, you know, claiming that the idol he created, you know, are the gods that brought them out of Egypt. So, you know, which he says in 32.4, and then he creates an altar, you know, and calls, you know, the, you know, the calf, the name of God and proclaims a feast day. So from a cultural perspective, from this narrative, we see the golden calf that Aaron created for the children of Israel was a god of the Canaanites and Egypt. So they were, you know, the Canaanites and the Egyptians, they worshipped, you know, a bull or calf or whatever. And what the calf or bull represented to the Canaanites and Egyptian, it was a symbol of might and virility with a hint of possibly fertility. So after Aaron creates the calf, the Bible says that the people got up uh, to eat, drink, and play. That's in verse 6 of chapter 32. And the understanding of what is going on here with the people getting up, eating, drinking, and playing is that, you know, I, I did some research on this part, and uh, scholars, you know, have studied this, and from their cultural perspective of Canaanite culture, you know, and, and stuff like that, this is probably, you know, I'm only going to say this once, I'm going to move on, it, it's probably an orgy that's going on. So it's real bad, the, you know, sin, sin really took them down a path that they did not want to go. So, and the only one that saved them from total, complete annihilation was Moses. So God wanted to wipe them all out and Chapter 32, verse 10, God's like, let me add them, let me get them. Moses like, nope, we can't do this. You know, take me out too. You know, but so, so God relented of his decision. And Moses confronts Aaron, and Aaron does not have a good excuse as to why he created the calf, only that the people wanted him to create the calf. And what, what is terrible that Aaron says is that the calf just, oh, it just came out, you know, just like it is. So, you know, they gave it to me. I cast it into the fire and pop, out came, came the calf. So, um, and Aaron even says, you know, you know the people, you know that, that all they want to do is disobey. So, you know, why not just, you know, make them happy, you know, please them. So, and there's also a possibility that Aaron could have joined in on, you know, joined with the people and, what they were in their behavior and what they were doing too. So, you know, and, then, and this is kind of like, you know, us when, when we're at church. Um, if the pastor is away for, from church for any reason, you know, whether he's taking a break or he's got, you know, something going on, um, what, what's important is that we have ministers and people in the church who are strong in the faith and, you know, that aren't necessarily people pleasers and, doing what people want them to do, but doing what God 
wants them to do and, you know, you know, trying to keep us from any evil business that may creep up while the pastor is away. The golden calf story, you know, would be kind of like an example of it for our day and time would be if the pastor was away and let's say, uh, well, you picked on me last week, so I'm going to pick on Brother Melder, you know, this lesson. So we'll just pretend that Brother Melder, you know, he's up there at the pulpit and he's, he's like, okay, we're, let's just take up an offering and, and this is going to be prize money for a game show and, and we're going to live stream it, you know, and the, and the winner gets, gets the winnings and, and, you know, but that, that probably would not to go over too good with the pastor or the bishop because uh, the bishop would probably, you know, break the pulpit into itty bitty pieces and we'd have to buy a new pulpit. So that's probably what, you know, the offering would go towards. Um, Although we are without excuse before God and what we, in our behaviors and mannerisms, Aaron's insecurities or his bowing to peer pressure in Exodus chapter 32 is a picture of our vulnerability and how we are, uh, you know, yeah. And Aaron, he had to hold, you know, he had to hold Moses's hand. You know, without Moses, he was just, he was helpless. I mean, I mean, you know, if it, it, the only time that, you know, people can live for God is when the pastor is around, you know, or, or, or helpless, you know, we've got to have God's, God's help and, and living for God. You know, we can't, we can't do it, you know, necessarily all the time with the pastor, but we, we, we have to be with God, have God's help. Uh, we are all very capable of sin, disobedience, and or rebellion. This is why we must die daily, which, which 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 31 states. And we must take up our cross, which Jesus says in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. And we must seek our daily bread, which Matthew chapter 6 and verse 11 says. There is no biblical teaching for coasting, like going on cruise control, because, you know, you're eventually, if, you, if you're just coasting and you're just cruising, you're going to go... And then, and then you got to wake up, you know, roll down the windows. Hopefully it's winter time and, you know, you, you wake up, but, you know, you fall asleep if you coast and cruise. Aaron and the children of Israel had not heard from Moses for weeks. Sometimes we do not hear from God for months and possibly even years. But no matter what, we must put on the whole armor of God and remain faithful. We must not give in to peer pressure and pleasing people like Aaron and King Saul and even Peter, which Paul rebuked Peter for in the New Testament. In spite of his sin, Aaron was restored to his position of high priest. This is a most remarkable incident demonstrating God's mercy, love, and compassion. So, what can we learn from the Golden Calf narrative? Well, I guess the first one would be, don't please people. Do not don't worry about people. Just worry about your commitment and your duty to God and what pleases God. The second one is to have patience and learn to be content with where God has you. Because the people, they're, they're down on the mountain. I mean, they have the Ten Commandments and the priests and, you know, they, they know what they're supposed to do. But just because Moses is on the mountain doesn't mean that you can just like say, well, we're just... And then you agree to it and say, all the words that the Lord says, we will do. 
So you got to have patience. You got to be content. And Paul also warns us about pleasing people in Galatians. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So Paul was saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not from man. I'm from God. I get, I get everything from God. I'm not worried about people. And then in verse chapter 10 of verse, or yeah, verse, cha- verse 10 of chapter 1 of Galatians, Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So if you're going to please man, you're not going to be a servant of Christ. So our main goal and emphasis should be on following Christ. In Proverbs, in the Old Testament, it also gives wisdom about why fearing people is not a good idea. If you fear people, you will be led more to try and please them. So Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, it says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So if you trust in the Lord, you're going to be fine. But if you fear people, well, you're going to be in for a heap of trouble. So don't be afraid of people. Be afraid of God. And also, Peter faced the same type of problem with the high priest in Acts when Peter was confronted by the high priest about, you know, preaching Jesus and all these miracles and signs. And and the priest said, we told you not to preach in that name. And, you know, Acts chapter 5 and verse 27, it says, And when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? Well, that... Jesus' blood was already upon them anyways because they crucified him in essence. And Peter basically responded, uh, and, the, and the apostles along with Peter, we must obey God rather than men. So we can't, we can't please people, you know, no matter who you are, how powerful you are, we, we have to please God. So, no, that wind is strong. So... When, you know, in our life and walk with God, we have to worry about what pleases God and not what pleases man. So, Brother Meller, finish this up. Thank you. We're not done yet. All right. Thank you, Brother Jonathan. Y'all starting to see a little bit more about this man, Aaron? Had some strong points in his character, and he had some flaws. Anybody can identify with that? <laughs> yes, all of us. Huh? The, um, the two points that I'm going to cover that we can learn from the life of Aaron, uh, the first one's bad uh, character and the second one's good character. So I'm going to start off with the episode where he's talking, he and his sister are, are talking about Moses and they're not happy about him and they're disrespecting him. And so that's where I'm going to ask Sister uh, Ellen to read for us. Yep. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side Jordan by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorite. That's not it. Numbers 22 1. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
and Miriam, and hey, let me read it to him. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to give you a wrong. Is it 17? Should it be number 17? And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses. Okay, I might have a wrong scripture reference, so I'm going to have to read it. <clears throat> I thought this was Numbers 22.1, but evidently it's somewhere else in the Bible, and your homework will be to find out where I'm reading from. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Imagine that, Brother Gary, the Lord heard it. <clears throat> now the man Moses was very meek. This is in parentheses. Next verse, verse 3 of whatever chapter I'm in. Numbers 12, 12, okay. Numbers 12. Okay, you find that, uh, Sister Ellen? Start at verse 3. Now the, now the man Moses, listen to how the Bible describes this man Moses, was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Verse 4. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they, they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. If, if there's a prophet among you, there's two to three million people. If there's a prophet among you, just a prophet, I'll talk to him through a dream. I'll show him through a vision. But, but watch how I'm going to talk to Moses, this guy that you got your mouth on, okay? <laughs> My servant Moses is not so. He's not like that. Moses is not like one of those guys I'm going to talk to through a vision or a dream, okay? Who is faithful in all mine house. Because why? Because he's faithful. faithful. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speech. So I'm going to talk to him plain. mouth to mouth. Me and him is going to look face to face. Wow. And the similitude of the Lord shall be behold, shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. He departed. Okay, so <clears throat> what do we learn from this little episode here? Uh, <clears throat> what I want to point out is that I'm really not going to focus in on speaking because there's a lot of scripture about out of the abundance of, or, or, or you're snared by the words of your mouth and life and death in the tongue. I'm going to go deeper in that. I'm going to talk about that, that their heart was not right because this, Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. <clears throat> That's Matthew 12, 34. Uh, David, after his sin with Bathsheba in, in Psalms 51, says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. James says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your, your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So this is a heart situation with Aaron and with Miriam. They, they got a problem with, with Moses' wife. They, they've got a prejudice problem. they got a respecter of persons problem. They think they're better than she is. This man who speaks face to face with God, who just happens to be their sibling, their brother, and they're, and they're coming down on him, and they're saying, well, we're just as holy as he is. We're, and it's, because, it's not because they're 
of any other reason. It says because he married this Ethiopian woman. Uh, Acts 10.34 Then Peter opened his mouth and says, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. So he's not, and he expects us not to be. Okay, and so we learn that's a serious prejudice and and uh, and and being a respecter of persons. You can learn something from Aaron's life because God was very upset. We find out Miriam gets leprosy, and who intercedes? The faithful man of God, the most meek man of all, steps in for his sister, and and God, <clears throat> it's almost like reluctantly says, "Okay, you know." But if her dad would have spit in her face, she'd have had to stay outside the camp for seven days. So that was her time period. That was her cleansing period. She had to stay outside the camp for seven days because of her leprosy and because of her sin. Now, Aaron's kind of skated on that. I don't think he got a penalty for that. But it was God was just as angry with, Mo, with Aaron as he was with Miriam. But Moses, again, steps in. I don't know how many times Moses interceded for him, but we can learn uh, that when we're partial or, or, or prejudiced, that it grieves the heart of God. And uh, if you think you're better than somebody because of your education level or because of your status in life or your skin color or your nationality or your age or your height or your ability, or any other thing, if you think you're better. Now, you may be smarter than somebody. You may be taller than somebody. You might can run faster than somebody, but that's not better than somebody. They have the same value that you do, and God looks at them and loves them just as much as He loves you and I. It's not His will that any should perish. So we have to be, as children of God, we have to not be respecter of persons. We don't, get the, we don't get the pick who sits on the front row and, and who comes to our church. God's in charge of all that. <clears throat> There's an example that Jesus gave of, of some very religious people that were prejudiced. <clears throat> Luke 18, verse 10. Two men came up into the temple to pray. The one was a Pharisee, the other was a publican. Publican's a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus to himself. Now, how you like praying to yourself? Huh? God... <laughs> He's not praying to himself like, I'm God. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Does that sound like a respect? Does that sound like he thought he was better? Uh, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, he's standing over far off. Jesus is speaking now. Would not so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven, but he smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So we have an example given out of the mouth of Jesus Christ about thinking that you're better than somebody. Of a religious person thinking that they're better than somebody. Where much is given. If anybody ought to know not to do that, it should be this, this uh, religious person, right? And of course, you all know the story that <clears throat> when God anointed, when Samuel anointed uh, David to be king, that God told Samuel that man looks on the outward 
but God looks on the heart. So God's view of us is not anything like our view. We've got to get past that and walk in the Spirit. So we learn from Aaron that God is not prejudiced, and He expects us not to be, and especially when it comes to those that are faithful leaders. He, He was being prejudiced against his own brother for marrying an Ethiopian woman. The second thing, I got 10 minutes. I'm doing good. The second thing. I'm that, sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. That I want to point out uh, that's a good aspect that we learned from, um, from Aaron is his rod that budded. Isn't that a neat story? Y'all know the story of Aaron's rod that budded. Y'all know what a rod is, right? It's a dead stick. It's, it's, a, it's not connected to the ground anymore. And any stick that's not connected to the ground is dead. Okay? So it's a dead stick that one day uh, uh, buds. And I'll start off by reading uh, Exodus 28.1 just to establish that God had already told Moses all these great plans about Aaron and his sons being priests uh, up on the mountain. But the people were murmuring and complaining so bad that even though that was in God's plan, even though he had given his plan to his leader Moses, uh, that he had to step in and do a demonstration to confirm what he had told Moses because the people were so stiff-necked. And it says in Exodus 28.1, And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him uh, from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. So God was talking to Moses up on the mountain. But the people murmured and complained so bad that in num- number 17 we find <clears throat> that God comes up with a way to just, I guess, gently uh, get them to get past their doubts and fears and their murmuring and complaining. So read that for me, Sister Ellen. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and take every one of them a rod according to the house of their fathers. Take a rod. So what's going to happen is there's <clears throat> there's 12 tribes of Israel, Kiwan, and each one... The, 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 like the head person of each tribe is going to take their staff. They all, all these guys had sticks, you know. They're kind, of like, they're kind of like guys from Bloomington. They all got pickup trucks, you know. But these guys all had sticks. They carried their stick around. I don't know if the stick was a symbol of uh, power or authority to them, but they all had sticks. Most of them were shepherds. So, so you got 12 tribes. You got 12 men in those tribes, and each one of them's got their stick. So Moses instructs. Uh, God instructs for Moses to get those 12 sticks. Of all their princes, according to the house of their fathers, 12 rods, write thou every man's name upon his rod. So if if your name was Leroy or if your name was Gary Ummel, whatever your name was, you 12 guys, you put your name on your little stick, your rod. Right. Okay. And thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi. I want you to put Aaron's. Aaron's my representative for the, you know, there's 12 tribes. One of them mm-hmm. is Levitical, the Levites. Mm-hmm. On that one, I want Aaron's name. He's, he's, my, tep, he's my man. He's, which he, I want to make sure Moses didn't mess up put somebody else's name on the stick. Right. For one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers. And thou shalt lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I will meet you with you. Lay the twelve sticks up, pile them up like cordwood, okay? And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom, and I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel. I'm going to confirm who I've chosen. Yes. When when I get through with this uh, object lesson, there's not going to be anybody (laughs) that could possibly... Come up with a, come up with another plan, or, or say that somebody else should be the priest. 
And Moses spake unto the children of Israel, and every one of their princes gave him a rod apiece, for each prince one, according to their father's houses, even twelve rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. And it came to pass that on the morrow Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi, Levi was budded, and brought forth buds, and bloomed blossoms, and yielded almonds. <laughs> I like that. Hey, now, overnight, not only did it not only did it bud, it had leaves on it, and not only did it have leaves, it had fruit. It had almonds. Now I'm a, I don't know that the rod was an almond tree or an almond branch originally, but, but we're told in Scripture it, it had almonds. It, it, you know, how long would it take to grow an almond? You know? <laughs> Overnight, God, uh, this is a very unique story in Scripture, but he, uh, Aaron was such a uh, critical piece being that first priest that, that Jonathan mentioned in, in, in that Levitical priesthood and the Aaronic priesthood and his sons uh, serving in the tabernacle with him. He was such a, a critical piece uh, of the deliverance of, of the nation of Israel and of them going forward with that tabernacle in that wilderness. And, and the high priest was a, uh, was a powerful position it was a uh it was a huge responsibility how would you like to you know if you didn't if you didn't wash your hands just right god strike you dead you know if the people you know if, if you didn't do everything just right when you went back behind that veil once you god strike you dead it was a it was an important position and god didn't want just any old uh person filling that position he wanted aaron to fulfill that position and he told Moses about it, but that wasn't good enough because the people didn't respect Moses well enough to say, oh, I guess Aaron's going to be our high priest. You know, they didn't, they didn't have the reverence and the fear of their leader like they should have had. And so <clears throat> what we learn is that um, if God calls you, he will equip you and he will confirm your calling. Whatever he calls you to do, if you're truly called of God to be a missionary or if you're a pastor or evangelist, whatever it is, he's going he's gonna to back up his calling by confirming your position and that he's uh, got you in his, uh, in his hand. Uh, Moses uh, was the deliverer, and God confirmed his calling. Ten plagues. Nobody, nobody ever seen anything like that before. Did God confirm his calling? Red Sea splitting. Did, did God confirm Moses' calling? Glory cloud. David was the king uh, that was selected by God, that was anointed by Samuel. Did God confirm his calling? Oh, yeah, he killed Goliath, nine foot, eight inches tall. That's four inches short of a basketball goal. Nine feet, eight inches tall, Kiwan. <clears throat> did God confirm his calling? His harp. He was the only one that could make that, make that evil spirit leave from King Saul, couldn't he? God confirming his calling. I got my hand on him. He's going to be my next king. How about Peter in the New Testament? Did God confirm Peter? He called him. He, you know, Peter was just an old, normal, average, white perch fisherman, you know. Get out there and throw the nets out there and, and have to clean those old nasty fish. That's who he was. But God called him. And then God confirmed it 
Okay, what do you do? Peter, Peter, we've already mentioned at the gate, Acts chapter 3, silver and gold have I none. And he heal, and God heals that man right there that had been lame. <clears throat> he confirmed Peter's calling. In the fifth chapter of Acts, uh, <clears throat> the Bible says that the people would just lay as close as they could so that if, if they could just get in the shadow of Peter... When he come, they might be healed. That was God's c- confirming that ministry that he had given. How about Paul? Paul was preaching one night, and he got long-winded like Brother Jonathan. And um, a young man, I can't hardly pronounce his name, E-U-T-Y, Eutychus, Eutychus, Eutychus was up in a window, fell asleep. And you ain't supposed to be sleeping during church, Brother Gary. Make a note of that. And uh, fell out, and, the, and Paul, and he's dead. And Paul goes over, lays hands on, him, prays for him, and God raises him back to life. Did God confirm Paul's ministry? Did he did he confirm his calling? In Acts chapter twenty-eight, he was on the island of Melita, and they thought he was a they thought he was a, a, a snake bit Paul, and they thought he was a demon because a snake bit him. These native people on this island, and uh, he goes over, shakes the snake off in the fire, and they're sitting around saying he's a dead man. They're watching him, waiting for him to die. You know, and they're sitting there, hmm, yeah, looking at their Fitbit, and uh, you know, and the Bible says he didn't die, and. Uh, so then they wanted to worship him like he was a god. So did God confirm Paul? Yeah, everywhere he went. He was stoned and left for dead at Lystra. Did God raise him up? Yeah. And then finally, the one that pertains to you. You knew I was getting there, Sister Ellen. <clears throat> Jesus said, 759, Mark 16, 17, and these signs shall follow them that believe. He will confirm your, your, your Holy Ghost. He will confirm your calling. He will confirm your ministry. And we all have a ministry. It says, These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They'll cast out devils. They'll speak with new tongues. Uh, they'll take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So God confirmed Aaron. He is my priest. Quit murmuring and complaining about it. And God will do that with you, Jonathan, in whatever he's called you to do. He'll do that with you, brother. He'll do that with you, Sister Betty. He will do that in your life. And that's no if maybes or if he's, if he's having a bad hair day, he may not. No, no, no. God is going to, he's going to equip you and he's going to confirm. And we learn that from the life of Aaron. <clears throat> and with that, it's eight o'clock. I'll open for discussion and then we'll close in prayer. Anybody? Thoughts? Anything? Did you see something new tonight on Aaron? Anything you'd like to share with the group? Did Jonathan do good? I thought he did good. I was surprised because I really hadn't gathered that Aaron was the, like, yeah, we're going to make that camp or whatever. I, I always had the thought that it was just the people kind of. Over, kind of overran him? Yeah, I, I didn't really realize that he took it. That that and the talking, those were the two serious, serious things that he did, you know, making the calf, you know, trying to please the people, which Saul did. Remember King Saul? Uh, when he didn't utterly destroy Amalek? Yeah. Same, same thing. So it's a it's a real deal to to um, to guard against. Yes. You know, because especially in our day, because everybody nobody wants to, you know, offend anybody or, you know, uh, politically correct is all over the place now, and uh, it's in the church. And we need to. Get, now, I don't think you need to be rude or whatever, but I, I think you need to please God. And if that means somebody 
it gets their feelings hurt or something, then I guess they'll just have to get their feelings hurt because God is in charge. Any, anything else? Betty, did you see something tonight? Oh, she yeah. got a page. She got a book full of notes. I did. I, I learned a lot. Um, I like the history of Aaron's name. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I didn't realize that God talked to him before he talked to Moses. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, he, he more or less already sent him heading that way mm-hmm. while he's having this conversation, knowing that knowing that he already knew Moses was going to mm-hmm. say, "I can't speak and I stutter," because yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> he knows the beginning from the end. Right. Yeah, so I, I learned quite a bit. Gary, anything? Oh, he was an old man. Uh, these guys were not young teenagers, you know that. Joshua, you notice anything? Y'all came in late, so maybe y'all didn't hear all the. Yeah, you know, well, y'all didn't get to hear Jonathan, but uh, we're glad you're here. Glad you're here. Um, let's uh, let's close in prayer. Lord, we love you, praise you, thank you. Uh, help us to learn from Aaron the good and the bad. We all have flaws and we all have uh, problems in our personalities and our character. Help us to uh, get them ironed out. Make the like 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 John the Baptist said. Make the uh, the road straight, the crooked straight, and the valley be brought up and the mountain be brought down, level and straight. God, uh, help us to be conformed to Your image, uh, to have the um, the mind of Christ, and to produce the fruit of the Spirit. As You bless each one here. Thank you for our time together. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen.